Father, we thank you for the good news of this gospel announcement that declares our story has been rewritten. We are no longer dead in our sins. We are no longer slaves to our sins. We are no longer slaves to this world, but we are your sons and your daughters through faith in the perfect finished work of your son, Jesus Christ, who did for us what we could never hope to have done for ourselves. We thank you that his life was enough and his death was enough and his resurrection was enough to atone for the debt of our sin that we could never pay ourselves. And because of him, that we get to stand here today having freely received the gift of salvation through faith in his name. We thank you that through him, you have declared that we have a new identity as your sons and as your daughters and as you'll show us in your word today as your servants who are joyfully submitted to the headship of a loving and faithful master. So Lord, it's our desire today to give all of ourselves to you, to completely surrender ourselves into service for you, to embrace our place as exiles in a strange land, as we set our eyes on the glory that is to come and the day that we will see you face to face. Lord, we long for this day. So Father, today, will you speak to us words that will both edify your church and glorify your name. Sanctify us in the truth of your word. Your word Your word is truth. Speak it to our hearts now. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And as you find your seats this morning, I wanna invite you to turn with me in your Bible uh, to the book of James chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, you don't own a Bible, there should be one in the seat, underneath the seat in front of you. And again, if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. You feel free to take that with you as you go today. Um, Hey, this is a week into the year where we always uh, seem to uh, welcome a lot of new faces and first-time guests. And and so if you're new with us, my name's Taylor Burgess, the Surf Here Cross is lead pastor. We're honored to have you worshiping with us this morning. Um, And I'll tell you on the front end, today is a a very, very different day for us. As Dave mentioned during the welcome this morning, it's our fall community group kickoff. Um, So our time in here this morning is going to be very, very short. We're going to cut it by about 20 minutes. And uh, we want to give you plenty of opportunity after service to connect to a community group, get to meet some of our staff and leadership. If you're new with us, we would love the opportunity and privilege of getting to know you a little bit more. Make sure we uh, afford plenty of time for that today. Community groups are a big deal to us because uh, it's where we go beyond Sunday morning to go deeper into God's word. And so what a community group looks like on a weekly basis is a group of about 12 to 15 people gathered in homes, um, going deeper into the text that we look at on Sunday mornings. And so uh, if you go to a community group this week, you'll be looking at this verse from James chapter one. And this morning, we're starting a new message series in the book of James um, that Lord willing is gonna take us all the way to Christmas Eve morning. This is gonna carry us all the way through the rest of the fall. So today, James chapter one, uh, very short time together, just looking at verse 
1. Uh, The book of James was written by James, who is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. We make that distinction because there's a lot of guys named James in the New Testament. And we use the language of half-brother because while James and Jesus shared the same mother, which was Mary, uh, Jesus, of course, had a heavenly father, not a biological father, the way that James did with Joseph. And as best as we can tell, this letter was written around 40 to 45 AD, which would make it actually the earliest book that is written in the entire New Testament. That's significant. We'll get into why that is over the next several weeks. And the recipients of this letter are believers who have just been scattered all throughout the world as a result of a wave of persecution. And the primary purpose that James has written this book for is to show us that true saving faith in Jesus Christ will inevitably lead to a life of good works. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that we are not saved by our works, but what the book of James makes abundantly clear is that we are saved for a life of good works. There's a very heavy do emphasis in this book. You know, believe it or not, the Protestant reformer Martin Luther actually had a difficult time with the book of James because he had come out of a very oppressive, uh, works-oriented Roman Catholic background, and he saw James calling us to do so many things um, that he thought it actually stood in contradiction to other parts of Scripture uh, because we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. There's such a heavy works emphasis that Luther and and other believers through the centuries have actually struggled uh, to embrace this because of the heavy emphasis to do. But what we're gonna see through the book of James this fall is that we cannot separate our faith in Jesus Christ through from our responsibility to do good works as believers. And there's this very a pithy, kind of clever one-liner that you'll often hear Christians say as we try to draw a distinction between Christianity and other religious systems. And many followers of Jesus Christ will actually distance ourselves from that word religion entirely. And we'll go to the extent of saying, hey, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And, and we mean very well when we say this because what we're trying to express when we say this is that God has created us in his image to be in fellowship with him, in relationship with him, and following Jesus is not just a list of do's and don'ts. We don't work our way to heaven. Uh, we receive salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So we'll say, hey, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. But, but sometimes I wonder, like, we, we attach ourselves to these cute little one-liners, and they look good on t-shirts and sound good on bumper stickers. But I wonder oftentimes, how much do we listen to, to pay attention to see if these things actually square up with what Scripture says? It's a well-intended statement, but my fear is when we attach ourselves to things like this, it actually divides us from what God truly desires for us to be. Because what we'll see as we go through the book of James, for example, is not all forms of religion are bad. James 1.27, excuse me, shows us there is actually a form of religion that is good, that is pure, and that is undefiled, that God delights in and desires for us to observe as followers of Jesus Christ. And so, so even though we emphasize the relational aspect of walking with the Lord, we still have to reckon with the fact that the Bible is full of rules to obey and commands to follow. And so we can't totally separate the doing of Christianity from our relationship with the Lord. So it's not entirely accurate to say that it's not a religion, it's a relationship. It would be more accurate to say Christianity is a religion of relationship. The reason we're going to focus just on James 1.1 today is not just because your boy needed a short sermon this morning. I promise you. 
James 1.1 sets the trajectory for the rest of this book. And listen, if you don't get this today, you will miss the point of the next 15 weeks. What we're gonna see in James 1 this morning is that everything we do for Christ, everything we do for Christ starts with who we are in Christ. As followers of Jesus Christ, we do not separate identity from activity. Our activity flows from our identity. And it's very important that we get this in the right order. Because if you don't, here's what's gonna end up happening. The book of James in five short chapters gives us over 50 different commands. 108 verses, that averages about one command every other verse. And if you don't get the identity piece right, here's what's gonna end up happening. You're gonna go to one of two extremes. You're either gonna get to the end of the book of the James and you're just gonna be crushed by it You're like, I could never keep up with this. I could never do this. What would God want anything to do with me? Or you're gonna go to the opposite side of being a Pharisee and you're gonna check every single box and be like, I'm crushing this. And you're gonna be puffed up with pride and arrogance and believing, man, if everybody could just be like me, then we'd be so much better. We don't separate identity from activity. As followers of Jesus, our activity flows from our identity and everything we do for Christ starts with who we are in Christ. James identifies himself as a servant, as a slave of Jesus Christ. Christianity is a religion of relationship. It's a religion of relationship. We don't separate who we are from what we do. What we do flows from who we are. And James shows us who we are this morning in James 1 verse 1. Let's read the very short verse together. James, a servant, everyone say servant, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Everything we do for Christ starts with who we are in Christ. So we see first from verse one this morning, embrace who you are as a servant of Jesus Christ. Embrace who you are as a servant of Jesus Christ. James identifies himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the term that James uses for servant, doulos, was a very common term in first century Rome. It referred to somebody who was either a bondservant or a slave, and it referred to somebody who was completely submitted to the authority and the leadership of a master and surrendered themselves into a life of service for this person and expected that the master would provide their needs in return. And there's an important distinction that I think we, we need to make here that, that really, I think, gets behind James's intention of using this word. Uh, in the first century context, there were a couple of different words that could be used for slave. Um, so from the Andropodon uh, family of words, that referred to someone who was made a slave or forced into slavery. So think of somebody who was like a prisoner of war. But that's not the word that James uses. James uses a word from the doulos family of words referencing someone who was born a slave. And so here's the connection we'll see, especially as we get to James 1.18 in a couple of weeks. In the same way that a doulos was born into a life of service, believers in Jesus Christ are born again into a life of service. So the first thing we learn about James, identifying himself as a servant of Jesus Christ, is that the brother is just incredibly humble. And here's why we know this. He is the half-brother of Jesus. James is related to the most famous person who has ever walked the face of planet Earth, but he does not introduce himself as James, the brother of Christ. He introduces himself as James, the servant of Christ. 
And this is very, very significant. This is very, very significant because more important to James than his physical relationship to Jesus was his spiritual relationship to Jesus. This is a really important distinction because we know from the gospel accounts, there was a time when James and all the brothers and siblings of Jesus, his own family thought he was crazy. John chapter seven, verse five says that not even his own brothers believes him. Mark chapter three, as the crowds grew, his family went after him because they thought he was completely out of his mind. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, that following his resurrection, Paul explicitly states that Jesus appeared to James. And James's response is to worship. You know, I think all of us can, can identify with this to an extent and recognize that the truth of, of the reality of, of this relationship with James and Jesus. You know, the hardest group of people to try and get to take you seriously are the people who know you the best. That, that's always the hardest group of people to try and convince, to try and get to take you seriously is the people who know you the best. In a couple of weeks, I have the opportunity to go back home to Western North Carolina, and I'm going to be leading um, a, a retreat for a bunch of college students from, from Appalachian State. And uh, this is something that my home church as a thriving college ministry has been doing for years and years. And so it's a joy like to go back home and serve the church that, that led me to the Lord and called me into ministry and gave me my first ministry position. And it's always exciting to go back home. It's always humbling to go back home uh, for many, many different reasons. Because, you know, man, I, I've been in Beaufort for 10 years, so there's a lot of people in Beaufort who know me, but those folks back home, they know me. <laughs> they know me. And, and what, what I need you to recognize this morning is, and a lot of you heard my testimony before, there was like a whole different version of Taylor that existed before Jesus. And these are the people that know that version. And so inevitably, you know, anytime I go back home and, and I cross paths with people I went to high school with or grew up with, and they're like, hey man, what are you into now? I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. You know, it's like, of what? <laughs> like, no, like I'm, I'm walking with Jesus. Like I'm following Jesus, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to glorify him with my life. That's just crazy to them. And, and so I know, man, back home, there is always a group of people that's gonna struggle to take me seriously. And so that just speaks, I think, to the miracle of what's happened in James's heart. He saw his brother walk out of a grave and he falls on his knees in worship. Just imagine this for a second. Imagine waking up to the reality that someone you have known since the day you were born is the person who has the power that allows you to be born again. And that's what James has come to reckon with. And so he gladly embraces this title. I don't need that the secondhand attention that comes from being his sibling, I'm his servant. He is my master. I belong to Jesus Christ. And I think if we're being completely honest, a lot of us, we're really gonna struggle with language like servant and we're definitely gonna struggle with language like slave, right? Because that's an offensive term in our culture. That, that is a loaded term in our culture. James doesn't hesitate though to use it for himself. And I think part of the reason why you and I could struggle to embrace that type of language today is because it's the polar opposite of the messaging that we are constantly hearing. Because all of the cultural messaging today, all, what we're constantly being bombarded with has to do not with you depending on anyone. It has to do with your autonomy. No, you're autonomous. You are independent. You make your own decisions. You live your life the way you want to. You define reality. You define your own truth. 
You do these things. No one is the boss of you. You're the boy boss. You're the girl boss. You're in charge. Nobody can tell you what to do. That's what everything in our, in our culture is just screaming at you today. Man, more than that, in, in our world, greatness is not defined by the number of people that you serve. In our world, greatness is defined by the number of people who serve you. And here is James piggybacking off the Sermon on the Mount, just flipping the whole world upside down and showing us, no, that this is not the path to greatness. At one point in time, Jesus' own disciples were confused about what greatness looked like. And uh, the other James, who was the disciple of Jesus, his brother John, they were the sons of Zebedee. Matthew chapter 20, we see this really funny account. I don't know that we've totally paused to think about what, what, what exactly has happened here. In Matthew chapter 20, James and John, pay attention to this, they get their mom. They get their mom to go to Jesus and ask him for seats at, their right, at his right and left hand. They ask their mom, guys. And, and so she goes to Jesus. She's like, hey, will you grant this to my sons? And Jesus, I'd have to imagine, just kind of laughs this off. And here's how he responds in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. It says, Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, listen, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You and I are not saved by our service. We are saved through the fact that Jesus has come to serve us. He served us to the extent of giving up his life, of his body being broken, his blood being shed, so that he could take our place in death, pay the penalty for our sin. He came to serve us so that we could be saved from our sins. And being saved from our sins, we're not propelled into a life of glad service and submission to him because he's the one who has redeemed us. And so again, here's why we emphasize identity because James, for the rest of this book, it has this very heavy due emphasis and so let's make sure we get the equation right. Activity flows from your identity. You do not earn your identity through your activity. You are born again as a servant. And out of the overflow of the new birth in Jesus Christ, we surrender ourselves to a life of glad service and submission to him. So get the equation right. Giving of your money is not going to save you, but if you're truly saved, you'll desire to give of your money. Serving the poor, serving the vulnerable, serving widows and orphans, it's not going to save you. But if you are truly saved, you will desire to do these things. Going after those who have strayed away from the truth, who have fallen away from Christ, those who are wandering and who are lost, pursuing them and sharing the gospel with them and bringing them back to the truth, it doesn't save you. But if you are truly saved, you will desire to run after those who don't know Jesus because he's run after you. So embrace your identity as a servant. It is not a demotion to be a servant of Jesus Christ. He says that is the true path to greatness. Church, understand that there's no spectator Christianity in the Bible. There is no just, hey, I'm a Christian 90 minutes in a building once a week Christianity in the Bible. It doesn't exist. We are not saved by our serving, but we are absolutely saved to serve. Second half of this verse, uh, James goes on to say this, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. 
So everything we do for Christ starts with who we are in Christ. So we embrace who we are as servants of Jesus Christ. Second, James shows us this morning, embrace where you are as an exile in this world. Embrace who you are as a servant and embrace where you are as an exile. You know, oftentimes when we read a letter, uh, the parts of the letter we're probably going to pay the least amount of attention to are the greeting that's addressed to us, you know, dear Taylor, dear, dear John, dear Susan, whatever it is. We're, we're not going to pay much attention to that part. We're probably not going to pay much attention to the sign-off where somebody has their name and their contact information. We're primarily going to pay attention to the main body of the letter. And, and if we're just being honest, some of us probably read the Bible that way too. You know, we'll kind of skim through the introduction real quick and then maybe we'll pay attention to the conclusion. But man, that would be a really big mistake when reading the book of James. Because James uses a word here in verse one that really sets the trajectory for the rest of this letter. He writes to the believers, the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now this word diaspora that he uses here calls our attention back to the Old Testament when God's people were exiled. Uh, many of you were probably here with us a, a few years back whenever we walked through the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and it talks about uh, the people's return from their exile. 722 BC, Israel was exiled by Assyria, and then Judah was exiled by Babylon in 586 BC. And then that exile ended under the reign of King Cyrus from Persia, and God's people were led back to their land through the leadership of Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah. And so whenever people read and they heard that word diaspora, uh, it would have called their attention back to this. But um, at this point in time, they had returned from that exile. So now James is speaking to a new kind of exile. We're gonna get more into this over the next couple of weeks, but Acts chapter 11 shows us that the church in Jerusalem where, uh, where James was one of the leaders, they had scattered all over the world because of a wave of persecution that had come against them. And, and so James is thinking primarily here in lives of, in mind of, uh, of, of Jewish believers who had been persecuted and scattered to other parts of the, of the world. But anytime this type of diaspora language is used in the New Testament, it also refers to the Gentiles. And so here is the picture that is painted all the way through the book of James and through the New Testament. You and I, in the same way that Old Testament Israel was exiled, you and I are spiritual exiles in a foreign land. Church, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I need the very clear reminder that this world is not my home, that I don't belong here, that we have been made for a different world. And, and so, and, and here's, here's where I fear that, that many of us easily fall into. We are just trying every single day to make this our permanent dwelling place. And we're miserable in return for it. But we're like fish out of water. Anytime we as followers of Jesus Christ try to synchronize, synchronize our faith with the systems of this world and the philosophies of this world and the thinking of this world, James lays out for us an entirely new way. And, and this is, I think, a struggle for us in the same way that the word servant is a struggle. I think for many of us, the word exile is really gonna be a struggle. Because for believers here in the West in particular, you and I have, have pretty much grown up and lived entirely in a context where it really doesn't cost us anything to follow Jesus. Like we're starting to face a little bit more pushback. We're starting to face a little bit of opposition, but we have such a little framework for being a persecuted minority because we, we, for the most part of our nation's history, have been the powerful majority. And, and so here's what happens to us. Man, whenever we start facing opposition because we follow Jesus, 
We start facing pushback. We start facing hatred of the world. What we do in the West is we assume we're experiencing that because we're doing something wrong. Like we face pushback and opposition and persecution. We're like, Lord, what have I done to deserve this? The first century believers did not see the pushback and the opposition of the world as an anomaly. They saw it as the expected norm of being a follower of Christ because Jesus told them that's what was going to happen. They expected these things. This is what Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, 18 through 21. He said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. The earliest followers of Jesus Christ understood following Jesus is gonna cost me something. They understood this world is not our home. They understood pushback is coming, persecution is coming, opposition is coming. And the response that James shows them as he closes out verse one, that that frames the rest of this book for us is to respond with joy. He writes to the 12 tribes in dispersion, greetings. What's behind the word greetings? Be glad, rejoice. As we'll see next week, how how does he lead out this letter? Count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. You're not going through that because you did something wrong. You're going through it because it's making you more like Jesus. It's forming you more and more into his identity. And here's why we have to get this identity piece right. If you don't know who you are in Jesus Christ, if you don't know your status as an exile in this world, the demands of a book like James will crush you and you will tuck tail and run the second you face the pushback of this world. We embrace our identity as servants and we embrace our status as exiles in this world. And from that identity, all of the activity will flow. Uh, Trey Turner is a professional baseball player, plays for the Philadelphia Phillies. I'm a huge Braves fan. It pains me to even talk about this this morning. Um, but he is, uh, plays for the Philadelphia Phillies. He is, by pretty much every measurable objective, one of the very best players in baseball. In the offseason, he signed with the Phillies a contract, 11 years, $300 million. If anybody wants to let Trey Turner know, we need a little bit more parking out here. Like, that's, we might know Trey, maybe just shoot him a text when the service ends today. $300 million to play baseball. And so, you know, I know a lot of times we talk about professional athletes. Oh, you know, they're spoiled and, 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 and you know, they're babies. And I think sometimes we really do just kind of brush aside, man, just the pressure that these guys face, particularly in a city like Philadelphia that is extremely unforgiving when its athletes are not performing well. And so, uh, so Trey signs this massive contract in the offseason, signs this massive contract in the offseason, and for the first several months of the season, he was terrible. He was not doing well. Um, he was really a liability on their team and was not performing up to the standards of his contract. He was being booed by the fan base. He was taking responsibility for different losses that they had. But a few weeks ago, a group of Phillies fans, just as they get a little bit closer to the playoffs and they're trying to make a run, they're trying to make a push, a group of Phillies fans got together and organized a standing ovation for Trey Turner. 
And so when he came up to bat that night, he gets this massive standing ovation from the crowd. And ever since that moment a few weeks ago, Trey Turner has once again been one of the best players in baseball. Man, it's like the pressure just came off of him. He understands now. He remembers who he is as a player. He understands his place on this team and his place in this city. And once again, he's just effortlessly looking like one of the best players in baseball. And here's where I want that to land for us today. If you will begin to understand your acceptance in Jesus Christ, if you will understand your identity in Jesus Christ, if you will understand who you are in Jesus Christ, all of the doing will not feel like an impossible crushing burden. You will count it all joy. You will count it a privilege. You will rejoice to be a servant of Jesus Christ. You will rejoice to be an exile in this world because you know that all of it is forming you more into the image of Jesus and is leading you to become more and more like him. It's a religion of relationship. What we do starts with who we are and who Jesus has said you are is that you are his through faith in his name. So you bow your heads with me as we close this morning. You know, we have a short time here together today. Um, so we're, we're gonna be wrapping up here just in the next couple of minutes. And I, I wanna go and just lead us into our time of communion. As we prepare to take of the bread and the cup this morning, uh, let's make sure we, we pause just to reflect. Don't ever do this just to check a box. Like, I mean, honestly, like it would be better to not do this than just to do it to check a box. But let's never forget what it costs the Lord to save us. Let's never forget how severe our, our sin was, what our old story was before Jesus. So I just wanna ask you to, to examine your heart this morning. Is there any way you are not fully surrendered to your master, Jesus Christ? Any part of your life, any part of your identity, is there anything in you that's not completely surrendered to Jesus? And a follow-up from that is, man, where, where are you trying to make this world your home? Where have you just gotten a little bit too comfortable? You, you might be in a place, you're just ready to dip out on all of this because it's starting to actually be a little unpopular to follow Jesus in our world today. Just take all that to the Lord this morning. Let's ask him to give us boldness and to give us courage to help us to root our identity in him so that our activity will flow to him. So fathers, we come to this table as we remember the broken body and shed blood of your son, Jesus. We come to remember that the son of man came to serve and not be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we thank you that because Jesus has given us his life, that we too can have new life. And we wanna surrender those lives to you today in the same way that Jesus came to serve us. Help us to throw ourselves into a life of service for him. Help us to remember who we are. Help us to know where we are. Set our eyes on that day when we will see you face to face and we will be in our forever home and help us to count it all joy until that day. So you be glorified as we worship, as we respond 
as we move today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.